And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And all went to be taxed, every one into his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth, into Judea, unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. Ye shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. you the story of the nativity as told by St. Luke in the Bible according to King James. Good evening everybody and Merry Christmas. This is Orson Welles bringing you another radio show for Lady Esther. A Christmas show. Christmas is the time for warm spirits and high feelings. It's the season to hang a holly wreath on your door and set up a fir tree near your heart. It's the season when everyone's heart beats a little faster, including the postman. And at this time of year, for ten cents worth of mistletoe, you can kiss anybody you want to. It's the only time of the year a lot of people ever sing a song. time for good things, for plum puddings and Santa Claus and Dunder and Blitzen and Tom and Jerry. Here in America, our way of celebrating Christmas, like our very population, comes to us from many lands. From the old Scandinavian druids we've taken the mistletoe and the happiness it stands for. From the French, we've learned to sing a glad Noel. From England, we've adopted holly and the Yule log. 
From the old legends of Middle Europe, we've taken the Christmas tree and the first chimney Santa Claus ever climbed down. We're in Holland. We've made certain changes. American children know, for instance, that wooden shoes won't stretch while stockings will. But the changes aren't the important thing. What doesn't change is what's important about Christmas. And on this Christmas, Christmas 1941, that's a good thing to remember. God rest you merry, ladies and gentlemen. Let nothing you dismay. We send you with this program the warmest greetings of Christmas time. Goodwill toward all men of goodwill throughout the world. Our story tonight is an apostrophe to the spirit of giving. It's one of the first things my mother ever read to me. Your mother probably read it to you. It's called The Happy Prince. We'll do it for you in just a minute. Right. Now here's the story of The Happy Prince. High above the city, on a tall column, stood the statue of the happy prince. He was gilded all over with thin leaves of fine gold. For eyes, he had two bright sapphires, and a large ruby glowed on his sword hilt. He was very much admired indeed. One night there flew over the city a little swallow on his way south the pyramids in Egypt. He stopped when he saw the statue on the tall column. I will put up here for the night. This is a fine position with plenty of fresh air. I have a golden bedroom. Just as the swallow prepared to go to sleep, a large drop of water fell on him. What a curious thing. There's not a single cloud in the sky. And yet it's raining. The climate here in the north is really dreadful. Then another drop fell. What's the use of a statue if it cannot keep the rain off? I must look for a good chimney pot. But before he'd opened his wings, a third drop fell. And he looked up and saw... Ah, what did he see? The eyes of the happy prince were filled with tears. And tears were running down his golden cheeks. Who are you? I am the happy prince. Why are you weeping, then? When I was alive and had a human heart, I did not know what tears were. My courtiers called me the happy prince, and happy indeed I was, if pleasure be happiness. Now that I am dead, I am up here so high, I can see all the ugliness and all the misery of my city. And though my heart is made of lead, yet I cannot choose but weep. What? Isn't that solid gold? The swallow said this to himself. He was too polite to make any personal remarks out loud. Far away, far away in a little street, there is a poor house. One of the windows is open, 
and through it I can see a woman seated at a table. Her face is thin and worn, and she has coarse red hands, all pricked by the needle, for she is a seamstress. She is embroidering passion flowers on a satin gown for the loveliest of the queen's maids of honor to wear at the next court ball. In a bed, in the corner of the room, her little boy is lying ill. He has a fever and is asking for oranges. His mother has nothing to give him but river water. So he is crying. Swallow, little swallow, will you not bring her the ruby out of my sword hilt? My feet are fastened to this pedestal, and I cannot move. I am waited for in Egypt. My friends are flying up and down the Nile and talking to the large lotus flowers. Swallow, little swallow, will you not stay with me for one night and be my messenger? The boy is so thirsty, and the mother is so sad. It's very cold here, but I will stay with you for one night and be your messenger. Thank you, little swallow. So the swallow picked out the great ruby from the prince's sword and flew away with it in his beak over the roofs of the town. He passed by the palace and heard the sound of dancing. A beautiful girl came out on the balcony with her lover. How wonderful the stars are, and how wonderful is the power of love. I hope my dress will be ready in time for the state ball. I have ordered passion flowers to be embroidered on it. But the seamstresses are so lazy. He passed over the river and saw the lanterns hanging to the masts of the ships. At last he came to the poor house and looked in. The boy was tossing feverishly on his bed. And the mother had fallen asleep. She was so tired. In he hopped and laid the great ruby on the table beside the woman's symbol. Then the swallow flew back to the happy prince and told him what he had done. It is curious, but I feel quite warm now, although it's so cold. That is because you have done a good action. And the little swallow began to sink, and then he fell asleep. Thinking always made him sleepy. When day broke, he flew down to the river and had a bath. Tonight? I go to Egypt. The swallow was in high spirits at the prospect. When the moon rose, he flew back to the happy prince. Have you any commissions for Egypt? I am just starting. Swallow, will you not stay with me one night longer? I am waited for in Egypt. Tomorrow my friends will fly up to the second cataract. The river horse couches there among the bulrushes. And on a great granite throne sits the god Mammon. Swallow... Swallow, little swallow, far away across the city, I see a young man in a garret. He is leaning over a desk covered with papers. He is trying to finish a play for the director of the theater, but he is too cold to write anymore. There is no fire in the grate, and hunger has made him faint. I will wait with you one night longer. Shall I take him another ruby? Alas, I have no ruby now. My eyes are all that I have left. They are made of rare sapphires, which were brought out of India a thousand years ago. Pluck out one of them and take it to him. 
he will sell it to the jeweler and buy firewood and finish his play. Dear Prince, I cannot do that. Swallow. Swallow. Little swallow. Do as I command you. So the swallow plucked out the prince's eye and flew away to the student's garret. It was easy enough to get in as there was a hole in the roof. Through this he darted and came into the room. The young man had his head buried in his hands, so he did not hear the flutter of the bird's wings. And when he looked up, he found the beautiful sapphire. I'm beginning to be appreciated. This is from some great admirer. Now I can finish my play. The next night, the swallow flew back to the happy prince. I am come to bid you goodbye. Swallow, swallow, little swallow, will you not stay with me one night longer? It is winter, and the chill snow will soon be here. In Egypt, the sun is warm on the green palm trees, and the crocodiles lie in the mud and look lazily about them. My companions are building a nest in the temple of Baalbek. Dear Prince, I must leave you. But next spring I will bring you back two beautiful jewels in place of those you have given away. The ruby shall be redder than a red rose, and the sapphire shall be as blue as the great sea. In the square below, there stands a little match girl. She has let her matches fall in the gutter, and they are all spoiled. Her father will beat her if she does not bring home some money. And she is crying. She has no shoes or stockings, and her little head is bare. Pluck out my other eye and give it to her, so her father will not beat her. I will stay with you one night longer, but I cannot pluck out your eye. You will be quite blind then. Swallow, swallow, little swallow, do as I command you. So he plucked out the prince's other eye and darted down with it. He swooped past the match girl and slipped the jewel into the palm of her hand. Then the swallow came back to the prince. You are blind now, so I will stay with you always. No, little swallow. You must go away to Egypt. I will stay with you always. And he slept at the prince's feet. All the next day he sat on the prince's shoulder and told him stories of what he had seen in strange lands. He told him of the red ibises who stand in long rows on the banks of the Nile and catch goldfish in their beaks. Of the sphinx who is as old as the world itself and lives in the desert and knows everything. Of the king of the mountains of the moon who worships a large crystal. Of the great green snake that sleeps in a palm tree and has 20 priests to feed it with honey cakes. And of the pygmies who sail over a big lake on large, flat leaves and are always at war with the butterflies. Dear little swallow, you tell me of marvelous things. But more marvelous than anything is the suffering of men and women. There is no mystery so great as misery. Fly over my city, little swallow, and tell me what you see there. So the swallow flew over the great city and saw the rich making merry in their beautiful houses while the beggars were sitting at the gate. He flew into dark lanes 
and saw the white faces of starving children looking out listlessly at the black street. Then he flew back and told the prince what he had seen. I am covered with fine gold. You must take it off, leaf by leaf, and give it to my poor. Leaf after leaf of the fine gold, the swallow picked off till the happy prince looked quite dull and gray. Leaf after leaf of the fine gold he brought to the poor, and the children's faces grew rosier, and they laughed and played games in the street. Then the snow came, and after the snow came the frost. The streets looked as if they were made of silver. They were so bright and glistening. Long icicles like crystal daggers hung down from the eaves of the houses. Everybody went about in furs, and the little boys wore scarlet caps and skated on the ice. Swallow grew colder and colder. He would not leave the prince. He loved him too well. He picked up crumbs outside the baker's door when the baker was not looking. Tried to keep himself warm by flapping his wings. But at last he knew that he was going to die. He had just enough strength to fly up to the prince's shoulder once more. Goodbye, dear prince. Will you let me kiss your hand? I am glad that you are going to Egypt at last, little swallow. You have stayed too long here. It is not to Egypt that I am going. I am going to the house of death. Death is the brother of sleep. Is he not? And he kissed the happy prince on the lips and fell down dead at his feet. At that moment... A curious crack sounded inside the statue, as if something had broken. The fact is that the leaden heart had snapped right in two. Certainly it was a dreadfully hard frost. Early the next morning, the mayor was walking in the square below in company with the town councillors. As they passed the column, he looked up at the statue. Hear me. How shabby the happy prince looked. And here is actually a dead bird at his feet. We must really issue a proclamation that birds are not to be allowed to die here. And the town clerk made a note of the suggestion. So they pulled down the statue of the happy prince. And then they melted the statue in a furnace. And the mayor held a meeting of the corporation to decide what was to be done with the metal. We must have another statue, of course. It shall be a statue of myself. Of myself. Of myself. Of myself. Said each of the town councillors, and they quarreled. When I last heard of them, they were quarreling still. What a strange thing. Said the overseer of the workmen at the foundry. This broken lead heart will not melt in the furnace. We must throw it away. So they threw it on a dust heap, where the dead swallow was also lying. Bring me the two most precious things in the city said God to one of his angels. And the angel brought him the leaden heart and the dead bird. You have rightly chosen, said God, for in my garden of paradise this little bird shall sing forevermore. And in my city of gold the happy prince shall praise me.
That was Wilde's The Happy Prince. The music was by Bernard Herman. There's more to our Christmas show, but right here I'd like to tell you the good news about next week's program. Our story is a new one, and it's the best thing of its kind that's come our way this year. And our guest is Miss Rita Hayworth. Now about tonight, I'm going to do something of G.K. Chesterton's. I stumbled on it the other day. It isn't new, but it isn't very well known either. It might have been written especially for tonight. Especially for this Christmas, 1941. <laughs> program tonight is intended to be a sort of radio Christmas card from Lady Esther and from all of us in the Mercury to you. From Bernard Herman, who composes all our music and conducts it. From Harry Esman, who makes the sound effects. From our engineer, Gary Harris. From Claire Olmsted and Jack Moss. From lots of people whose names we never mention on the radio, but without whom we wouldn't have a show. And also from those we do mention. From Ray Collins. Merry Christmas! From Agnes Moorhead. Merry Christmas! From Joseph Cotton. Merry Christmas! From Edgar Barrier, Erskine Sanford, Gus Schilling, and Tim Holt. Merry Christmas! And way out there in New York, from Paul Stewart, Alice Frost, Betty Gard, Everett Sloan, Chubby Sherman, Eustace Wyatt, and George Kalouris. And Merry Christmas! And from all the Mercury people in Chicago, and from the Robert Mitchell Boy Choir. Merry Christmas! And from the orchestra, and from everybody. Merry Christmas! And of course, really, no proper without a few gay rhymes. And, of course, Joe's right. We want our greetings to be as hospitable as any host inviting you in on Christmas morning. Come, bring with a noise, me merry, merry boys, the Christmas lawn to the firing. For my good dame, she bid you all be free and drink to your heart's desire. We want our greeting to be as generous as the beggars. Christmas is coming. The geese are getting fat. Please to put a penny in the old man's hat. If you haven't got a penny, a halfpenny will do. If you haven't got a halfpenny... God bless you. We want our greeting to be as logical as the farmers. At Christmas, play and make good cheer. For Christmas comes but once a year. You know, those rhymes are really honest-to-goodness old English and American poetry. And, and now, because we want our greeting to be timely and very beautiful, too, here's a Chesterton poem, I promise you. Passionate peace is in the sky, and in the snow is silver sealed. The beasts are perfect in the field, and men see men so suddenly. But take ten swords, and ten times ten, and blow the bugle in praising men, for we are for all men under the sun, and they are against us every one. And misers haggle, and madmen clutch, and there is peril in praising much. And we have the terrible tongues uncurled that praise the world to the sons of the world. The idle, humble hill and wood are bowed about the sacred birth. And for one little hour, the earth is lazy with the love of good. But ready are you, and ready am I, if the battle blow and the guns go by, for we are for all men under the sun, 
And they are against us, every one. And the men that hate, herd altogether to pride and gold and the great white feather. And the thing is graven in star and stone that the men who love are all alone. Hunger is hard and time is tough. But bless the beggars and kiss the kings for hope has broken the heart of things and nothing was ever praised enough. But hold the shield for a sudden swing and point the sword when you praise the thing for we are for all men under the sun and they are against us every one and meme and merchant, Spain and thrall hate us because we love them all. Only till Christmas tide go by. Passionate peace is in the sky. Good night now. Lady Esther and we of the Mercury wish you everything that's good for your Christmas. We remain, as always, obediently yours. And again, God rest you merry, Ladies and gentlemen, let nothing you dismay. This is the Columbia Broadcasting System. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of plan investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com.